Welcome to the Profession in Pursuit podcast, recorded at Grace Bible College in Wyoming, Michigan. I'm your host, Alex Bradley. And I'm your co-host, Allison Verheim. Each episode will bring you stories from leaders to get you on your God-given path. Commitment is to obedience wherever, whatever, however God calls. The will of God is going to be revealed, not just by me sitting alone praying, yes, that's one way, but confirmed over and over again by people who we have relationship with who can speak into our lives. This cause, which we gather around, especially as Christians, is bigger than any of us. Today, we're talking about the struggle we all have to lead consistent lives. Our guest today is Ken Kemper, current president of Grace Bible College and former African missionary. He has learned tremendous lessons on how to bring your faith with you no matter where God calls you. So settle in for a great conversation with President Ken. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome to the Profession and Pursuit podcast. Today, we have the privilege of interviewing President Ken Kemper from Grace Bible College. And of course, we're really excited to hear from our fearless leader today. <laughs> so... Strap in, get ready for a wild ride, because I'm sure we've got some crazy stories ahead. (laughs) President Kemper, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We always love to just kind of get started by hearing a little bit about yourself. Tell us about yourself, your family, kind of what brought you here today. Okay. I grew up on the West Coast, Seattle, born in Seattle, grew up uh, up and down the coast, California. My dad was a pastor, so grew up in a solid Christian home. Uh, all my siblings uh, very outgoing in personality, which speaks something about our family life growing up, very committed in their faith. All of them attended Grace Bible College eventually, and including my father who came to serve as president at Grace Bible College uh, while uh, we were all adults and out of the home. So I am married, met my wife at Grace Bible College, my wife Kathy. She was from Minnesota, so she took a chance on marrying somebody from the West Coast. <laughs> We've got three wonderful kids uh, who are all in uh, full-time ministry in different places around the world. One of them is local right now as we're waiting any day this month for her to have first baby, our daughter Naomi and her husband John. And then we have a son pastoring down in Illinois with three kids and a son out in Virginia with one child. So that's our nuclear family. We love Grace Bible College and we love ministry. Now, President Kemper, I believe that I heard that you spent something like 16 years in the ministry field prior to coming to be president at Grace. Could you tell us a little bit about that transition? Because jumping from Africa to Wyoming, Michigan seems like a pretty big leap. So could you talk to us a little bit about that transition? That is a great question. And uh, Allison, I'd love to speak to the dynamics. Um, Those individuals who were here at Grace Bible College, when I came from Africa to start as president, and the the trivia on that is my father preceded me as president. So he's leaving, and they called me and asked me if I'd consider it. I said I'd pray about it. Eventually, we felt the Lord leading us to uh, come into this position. But those who were here, they will say it was dramatic transition for them (laughs) to have me come in, too. So you were the troublemaker. (laughs) They kept saying things like, you're not at all like your father, and the apple does fall far from the tree, and things like this, that it was just more what was happening at the time. There was a uh, definitely a transitional time. So, but it was a transition. We look back on that in our family because my kids were 12, 14, and 16, and we say it was a more dramatic change and transition than when we left to go to Africa with a three-month-old baby, realizing we had 
charted our life to pursue overseas ministry. And now we're coming at really mid-stage when we felt God was using us in the most effective way possible. The gifts and abilities and the cultural understanding at that time was at its peak. And uh, somehow there was a transition that comes into life that says, we need to move. This is God's moving and direction for life. And uh, no matter how incompetent, is probably the best way to say it, we feel for the role God somehow has taken all that's gone on in these last 16 to 17 years and its preparation for what the next Mm -hmm. step is. And so that was a major transition that for probably five to seven years, I just kept saying, I'm learning, I'm learning, I've got to figure this out. Uh, I'm here for a reason. There, there is something uh, in my background or the way I'm wired that God has put me here in this place and it will be revealed eventually. So that kind of answers the question, yet there's a lot of dynamics inside of it. It does. Now, that raises another question. We're all very family-oriented, all have children. How did your kids handle that move? Um, Growing up in Africa, I mean, Mm -hmm. spending a huge part of their childhood to to move back to the States. The interesting thing about the kids is that we would come home for a year, so we, we could put them in school for a whole year, but they would not adjust to America in a large way because they always knew they were going back. So home was not here. So they would work through the, I can make friends, but I don't want to get too attached. And they'd go back and they would land where they're more comfortable, where they really had a lot of friends and where they understood who they were. And it was a struggle when they heard that we're coming here. And we had the uh, family council, we called them. We sit down and say, who are Dad and Mom are praying about this. Here's the opportunity before us. We've been called. We've been asked if we would do this. Let's talk about this. We'll come back and talk about it in a few days, but I want you kids all to pray. And I'm talking to 12, 14, 16-year-olds, but people sensitive to the Lord. They were extremely positive, say, if God is leading you there, then that's what we're going to do. We don't like it. We don't want to leave. They were open about that, but God will supply in that. Mm -hmm. That didn't make it easier. The transition was difficult. Um, American kids are aggressive. It was hard. I think my daughter would be fine if I said it was hardest on her to be a 12-year-old girl to move to America. is a tough, tough time in life. And yet, there was that deep understanding that this is God is in this, and if He's in this, we will work through the challenges of it. So in the family situation, you are so right. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It was very challenging because here I am as well coming home each day saying, I don't know why uh, this calling happened, but I know it's a long-term commitment that we need to work through and uh, feel like you don't quite understand it and have your kids see you in that capacity when they'd only seen really effectiveness up until that point. So yeah, it was a very challenging family time. Thank you for sharing that. I think Mm -hmm. that's helpful, especially for listeners trying to make that transition from something they've always done in life to a big move. How do you juggle that? Because it's not just you, you know, It's, it's a family too. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I can liken it, if you allow me to, when I talk to my kids about a marriage commitment, I said, it's really easy to fall in love. It's scary to think about the day you make that commitment, but the day you go down the aisle is not nearly as significant as if this is truly what God wants. It's every day after that reminding yourself, I have made a commitment and I am going to follow through and I am going to love that person. That's what it was like to say, we are here, we're going to do this, we're going to, um, for the sake of the stewardship that God's entrusted us with, do it with all of our gusto and not give up on it. So there is a likelihood that all of us experience in those Mm -hmm. types of relationships. Yeah. You know, kind of um, going back to this conversation about transition. Um, Of course, we have two sets of listeners that are um, 
chiming in right now, viewing right now, and uh, some of them are 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds who are either looking at coming to campus or maybe already are. Mm. And there's this question about calling and purpose, and they're trying to like discover this lifelong trajectory for themselves. Um, and yet we also have all of these online students that are a little bit further on in life, mm. and they were there. 15, 20, 25 years ago, and now they're kind of going through your transition motive from Kenya to to Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And um, just kind of curious a little bit, like um, maybe looking back on that initial calling you had, what did that feel like? How did God prompt you in that direction? And then was the calling that you felt to, to Wyoming similar? Was it different? You know, um, because I think that people are very interested to mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. how God works yeah. in those transitions. I love your question. This is <laughs> this is subject of a work and study I'm doing right now. Oh, wow. Oh, that, that's will, awesome. that will come out about how do we perceive the Holy Spirit works in any of our lives if it's transformational for me or my organization or my family. And there are some key ingredients, but that's not the way you're asking it as much as when, and we talked about this a lot when we made our transition to the States, we haven't changed the commitment. The commitment is to obedience wherever, whatever, however God calls, and He will equip to do the job. So it's that purposefulness of the one thing we don't want to be is out of the will of God. Lord, keep me from anything that is not where you want to go. And those guiding perspective prayers of, we'd say often, guys, this is about obedience. It's not about the logistics. The logistics will change throughout your life, but are we found faithful to be obedient in that? And that's how, that's how it began. That's how when I met my wife at Grace Bible College and I was committed to go to Africa, she said, huh, well, I've been, uh, <laughs> I've, I've been camping before. <laughs> and it was like, I'm committed here. I'm looking. If we're going to date, I want you to know of the trajectory of my life, and it's about obedience obedience to this. And that was the open conversation from the beginning, which was very helpful, she always said, to know what I'm getting into rather than, you know, this is a great relationship. Now, do you realize in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about, you know, so that obedience uh, commitment is what I continue to come back to that that could change for any of us even next week as we begin to see God doing that. But here's a piece that I think we, we don't avail ourselves to. When we're looking at this future question and how we fit into that. It's easy for us to look opportunistically about what's going on, but we lose the idea of here's how I'm seeing, because I'm in conjunction with other people, in conversation about what my gifts and talents are, how I might be used not only today but in the future. And when I'm open with that about people, what my gifting is, then when an opportunity comes along, it's potential meeting opportunity. And I say, this actually could be me. And then I go to other people, do you think God could you see me? I remember I had so many of those conversations before taking this job because I'm going, this is not my area. I'm a missionary in Africa. Now you're talking about education. You know, we have this picture of this stiff educational. I had to talk to people. No, no, this is a good fit for you. We need your leadership style. We want your vision. We want things like this that I had talked to people. So I think that's one of the factors of are we asking the question about how do I fit in these opportunities in an ongoing conversation. And we say the will of God is going to be revealed not just by me sitting alone praying, yes, that's one way, but confirmed over and over again by people who we have relationship with who can speak into our lives. So that's helpful for 17-year-old, 50-year-old, anybody considering what does God want? Am I talking to the people around me about the factors? Am I giving them all the data? Even if I really want to do something, they can say, 
I don't think that's necessarily you, Allison. I don't think, yeah. No, I don't, you know, because of that relational honesty. And so, like, kind of like, as a side note to that, what I'm hearing, though, is you spent a lot of time investing in relationships before that, so that when the time came to seek counsel, people did really know who you were. And I see so many young people, I mean, as I look back on my early 20s, myself included, isolated, maybe um, not intentionally, but Mm. it's just kind of the way it goes. Like you're in school all day or then you've got work, you've got family obligations, you're trying to find that special someone, Mm. all of these different things are happening and, and you spend time with friends without really letting them get to know who you really are. It's around, you know, kind of about hanging out or like letting loose, kind of cooling down from all your responsibilities. And, and then when crisis hits and that's all you've got, Hmm. you know, you're really like uh, upside down. Hmm. And so, um, you know, just kind of listening to you talk, like that's something that hit me like, man, if you're not investing in relationships today, when that opportunity comes, that wise counsel is going to be lacking, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so definitely. Um, so thank you so That's much for point. sharing that. Yeah. And there's reciprocity in that. As we're open with others, they're going to call upon us, and it's only going to take us all to a more uh, deeper understanding of each other that it will benefit them and it will benefit you as well. So the privilege is huge that people yeah. open their lives to you and you do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I kind of want to dive in. We've talked a little bit about your dad, who was a beloved president here at Grace, and then you sort of followed him um, after he decided to to take another step. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that felt for you, going into a role as president of a college, following your dad, who has Mm -hmm. this tremendous legacy, Mm -hmm. while also um, seeing what the Lord has in store for you. What is he calling you to do here at Grace? Can you talk a little bit about that? I think the biggest factors of that, Allison, have to do with the first meetings I had with the board of directors and gathering uh, constituency around. Because I naturally had an affinity to students. My, I have kids that are teenagers at the same time. They kept saying things, boy, they're going to like having that young president in there, and I'm playing ball in the gym and doing all these things and figuring out that none of those guys think I'm young. I'm 40, you know, or 41 almost when I, when I started. <laughs> That's not young. You're 60 telling me that. That makes sense. Um, but the factors that were a little bit uh, strange in all that was those meetings of constituency and board members were clearly affirming that we called you here because what we saw could happen at this institution. So as I faced some really difficult challenges, they were especially financial in my first few months and had to make decisions that were not very popular um, for the sake of the college And the advice I had from mentoring presidents was, you see things, take action. The longer you serve in the role and be comfortable with the people around you, the harder those decisions will become and the less likely you will make the decisions that you know deep in your heart must be made as you Mm -hmm. seek to do the right thing. So what that means, if I can play that out, is things got more – things got worse – before they got better. <laughs> yeah. And sure. there was some aggressiveness and things among nice Christian people, let's be honest, nice Christian people who were hurt and uh, who, in my estimation, probably should have had these conversations longer, yeah. but, a, but a, an exiting president isn't going to have those conversations. Yeah. An incoming president is going to have these conversations. You're setting direction. You're setting vision. You're trying to listen to everybody around you. You're seeing clearly 
really? And then you make those decisions that that was probably one of the rockiest times in my ministry or leadership life is the first six to 18 months here mm-hmm. as the new president because of the lack of unity over a new direction that was up causing upheaval. Mm-hmm. And so that was very difficult. Um, I already gave you the comments about we like the old President <laughs> Kemper. We're not sure about the new one, but the affirming part was a board that said, this is why we brought you here. We saw the courage to make tough decisions. We like the direction. We understand the personal skills. We think the constituency is going to be excited. We as a board brought you for these reasons. And so that was probably the, the dynamics that uh, I had to fall back to over and over again. Pastors would have me in, and they would basically say to their congregation, we have a new courageous president making the moves that we hired him to do, and we're so proud of him, and let's get behind him. They'd sometimes have prayer for me when I came to churches and things like this. So all of that really affirmed me, and I'd share those with my wife, and we'd say, okay, there's, there's a long-term benefit, and it's going to happen, and it's going to turn, and it did. That's such a blessing to hear. I think for anybody, whether it's their first job, you know, right out of college, or if they're going into that maybe first leadership role, Mm. it's scary. And people aren't going to like some of the decisions that you make. And so to know, because I think that first time I ever had to make that hard decision, I thought everyone Mm. hates me. No one's going to be my friend. What am I doing? You know, second guessing yourself. So hearing that we're not all alone, you know, we're not all in that boat, I think is really um, assuring for a a lot of people. Yeah. And if you just bought talk about leadership concept alone you mentioned probably the more powerful one that if we left to ourselves, we go back and we don't go forward i love patrick lincioni and his works the five temptations of a ceo he says number two which i think is one of the best one the temptation to be popular over holding people accountable yes that strikes at the heart of most christian organizations when i work with them but i'm going to hurt people i'm going to offend people but if you really care about them and they're working poorly or they're not helping the organization, you're not keeping your responsibility before God that he's put you. If you think of it as stewardship, again, you need to point that out. You need to gently go to them. And I just think that hits all of us so hard that we don't want to hurt people. and want to, but, we, but if we care about people, we want to actually say, we have a thing that needs to be done here. This cause, which we gather around, especially as Christians, is bigger than any of us. And I've had this conversation just like this. Allison, you are very important. And I'll never discount how important you are because everybody's important, and I appreciate you. But our cause is bigger than both you and me. And at any point, I value you more than the cause that we have, and I'm hurting this organization. Mm-hmm. I have a responsibility before God to make sure that cause happens. And if you're not the person that can help us fulfill this cause, then we've got to find someone else. Now, I care enough about you that I'm telling you this openly rather than something happening behind your mm-hmm. back. That's a tough conversation that sure. brings people to tears, but it's also a kind conversation mm-hmm. in the end because we're all made to blossom with gifts and when potential meets opportunity and when there's lack of potential on the opportunity, the same frustration for the people in those roles. So it is a leadership issue that we have to somehow get over that and realize that we're, any of us in leadership are placed there because God has a responsibility for us. Certainly. You know, as such like a, a seasoned minister of the gospel and working in relationships more in like a church ministry setting, but then also now in a much more business, corporate type of setting, um, it's really easy, I feel like, for people like at work to be held accountable. There's numbers mm-hmm. at play. This was your goal. This was your expectation. Yeah. You're not meeting it. It's clear. There's no argument there. Um, but we have a lot of students who are either planning to go into full-time ministry yeah. or are planning to be very active in their churches. And that 
personal accountability seems to be a very slippery kind mm. of thing. You know, I've gone to people in the past and, and brought something up and then it, they've got all of these other contextual reasons for why <laughs> I'm not seeing the whole picture. Yeah. And it's so much more difficult. Um, do you have any insight that you might be able to share with us about like how you go about doing that or, or what's a good way yeah. to go about doing that? Well, I think our culture at Grace has a good advantage on that in our, in our empowerment coaching model that says, well, here's a quote from Peter Drucker says, if you want to help people to move forward, Drucker says, go to them and ask, what is the greatest level of responsibility that you would like me to hold you accountable for. Hmm. He's actually asked them what they'd like to do. So our empowerment coaching does that to say, I think it's more powerful among volunteers, board members, church members to say, let's sit down and talk about where do you think this ministry needs to go and what needs to happen. So therefore, what do you believe that would be best for you to be doing? What do you think God's asking you to be doing? Okay. How can I assist you to do that? How can I come back to you and ask you how that's been accomplished? Mm. In other words, I don't think any of us can hold anybody responsible unless there's a willingness. And that's uh, Tim Cosby's say, coaching's for the willing. You can't coach anybody if they're not willing to move. So, the, so I think the insight is, can I get someone else? And now we're all talking about the how and the what, but the reality is your, 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 your question of profession and pursuit, you're talking about the why. If, yeah. we, if we can't start with the why, that's our mission, why we exist. So yeah. we start with the why in the local church. Now, why are we organized as a church? Why are we talking about reaching the lost? Okay, now let's make sure we know that. Now let's talk about how's the best way to do that. And then what would you like to accomplish? Another leader says it this, what are you going to accomplish? How much of what by when? Can you just tell me how much of what by when? And if we don't have that clarity, I can't come back to you and ask you anything. So how much yeah. of what you're going to do by when? And you tell me what it is. All right. Like, let me write that down, because that's, that's moved it. Will you write it down? Okay, when are we going to meet again? How can I ask? That powerful saying, it's really yours, but just when, when I tell you that I'm going to be there or I'm going to do by such such a time, I'm motivated. So that's what we're tapping into, an intrinsic motivation that starts mm. with the why. So intrinsic motivation is everything, because that comes back to I'm bought with a price. My body is not my own. I belong to the Holy Spirit. I'm His temple. Therefore, He endows me with the gifts and talents to do what I'm going to do, and I'm responsible towards it. So it moves it back to an internal motivation. Sure. Hmm. That's great. I love that. Hmm. Now, something that I found really interesting about you when I started here at Grace is mm -hmm. you were pursuing your Ph.D., and I found that so interesting as president of a college, very accomplished man, and now you're going back to get that terminal degree. What made you make that decision? Why are you pursuing this at, at this phase in your life? I'll give you the uh, the good answer and the okay. Uh, <laughs> the, we'll take both. The answer on the streets. The good answer is uh, I have some real passions in certain areas, and to be able to find which, which I did a great program, which cultivates those and surrounds my passions and gifts with real good educational research really helps me be able to speak into those areas in a way that I could not before. In other words, when I'm studying educational theory, for instance, I'm at an institution of higher learning, I can really talk about educational mm -hmm. theory. I can really talk about philosophy of education. I can really work on leadership theories and leadership practices because that's what I've been studying. And so as I work towards my dissertation on vision development and transformation in organizations, yeah, I'm doing high-level research and describing what's normal out there in a way that helps me to be able to help others and organize. helps Grace Bible College, helps organizations I'm working. So I think I'm getting the tools to be able to do the role that I'm doing in a way that I just did not have before. And uh, 
I'm also able to cross some barriers that I did not have. That's similar to what I was going to say on the streets. It's that I had an honorary doctorate for the last 10 years, and it's just an honorary doctorate in an educational institution mm -hmm. where people work very hard and get their degrees. And therefore, yes, it might be nice to be called doctor, but amongst all of your peers who are educationally achieving that, you really uh, are not on equal playing ground. So it's Higher ed's real particular about that. It's a club. Yeah. It is a club. Yeah. yeah there, there's another selfish part on this, if I can say it this way. And my selfish part, when I say it, might sound um, different to you. We have a real problem in America, and it, and it bleeds into Christendom, leaks into Christendom, of the higher education culture of finishing. And this is why I went for a PhD rather than a, than a D-man, because PhD is the highest level, mm -hmm. of PhDs allowing you to have a, a road of now I know, don't tell me, don't move, and even moves into arrogance and such that really bothers me as a Christian who sold out for servant leadership to say, I think it's really important that we also have examples of people who study and they know that it is all about so they can serve and serve more effectively. And that it's not a part of that. Uh, and and it doesn't become a part of that's who they are, and it has to be part of who they are, simply helping them to be better. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious with that, um, really enjoying higher education myself and doing my master's program and just really love even reading books that are way too thick to be on anybody's shelf. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I've seen that a lot, that arrogance that comes along with learning. So for somebody who's now about to have a terminal degree, um, how do you maintain that posture? It's, it's easy to come into it with that anticipation and that hope, but how do you maintain that posture of like humility when people come to you and say, well, I, I don't know, President Ken, I don't know that that's how that is. I'm going to challenge, I'm going to challenge you on this. How do you maintain that um, humble, receiving, learning posture that you're trying to facilitate now? I think, and this is only my own perspective, it's all I can offer, that sure. all of us being lifetime learners is enormous. Mm -hmm. Our learning comes from asking questions and searching for answers and researching. So the fact that I'm in the midst of a dissertation and working through how does research scholarship work and having to do the best methods, having to be able to have dissertations that can stand up for anybody's observation, whether Christian or non-Christian, really is important because then we understand the, the culture and the language, but the learning part is where I'm coming back to to say, if you were to ask me that, I said, well, tell me, tell me what you've been studying. Maybe I haven't seen that. Maybe I haven't been able to understand that. So the reality that we're all learners and we always will always be learner, I think, is the culture that we have to have. And when we get out of that is when we get into trouble. And, of course, that's so beautiful in Scripture that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the mm -hmm. humble. That Aren't we all wanting more and more grace? Well, then we all obviously know that we're not going to get it if we move from humility to, to pride. So. I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, I have a lot of people who are very close to me who um, haven't had the opportunity to go into higher education for one reason or another. And just talking about that lifelong learning disposition mm -hmm. as humans, I think is really important because that doesn't make them less intelligent or um, capable or, in fact, I know that those are some of the things, that those lies that they deal with so mm. often in their life. Um, and yet, 
just because you sat under a professor doesn't make you per se more intelligent. You've maybe spent some more time, yeah. sat under a little bit more rigor. But some of these guys and, and girls I know are just um, very intelligent mm. and have taken a different route to yeah. their their dreams and their goals. So that's a great point. We would talk about that with our kids all the time because my wife would teach. She was an excellent teacher, and uh, they'd have their friends. They said, "My friend doesn't even know the alphabet yet, and he's ten. I said, realize, never look down on your friends who lack the opportunity. There are brilliant people right in this neighborhood who would give anything to have the opportunity that you have to study with your mother, and you will be able to go to college. They would give anything for that and spend for it. So I agree with you 100%. It's opportunity. People have ability to carve out of their life. They have the wherewithal to do it, and they're able to go on a course. And we always need to remember it's more about opportunity than intelligence. Hmm. Absolutely. So kind of go into this last component of our um, interview with you. So every uh, person that we get a chance to speak with on this show, we're asking them one question. We all go through ups and downs, but it's those downs that really test our faith, where we have to have something beyond ourselves to grab a hold of. Sometimes it's a pithy statement or a quote that kind of points us to God. Sometimes it's it's, it's explicitly a scripture. Mm. Um, but either way, what would be a quote or a scripture that has just really stuck with you in those low moments of life that's kind of kept you from unraveling, so to speak? Yeah, I, I draw great inspiration from my spiritual disciplines that I am in transition and will always be in transition to becoming what God desires me to be. I will never arrive, but I certainly can move backwards if I'm not deeply involved in solitude and quiet and prioritizing who God is for direction. And when I stepped into the role as a missionary, I was overwhelmed with responsibility and just remember dedicating myself and I remember how life goes on and, and family starts to come and how challenging it is. And then I remember coming back here and once again going, I've got to be listening with greater intensity to what God is leading so I can make those changes in me and they'll come out then in how I lead. So uh, I love the scriptures when you think about Psalm 1 and you think about the man and he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a stream firmly planted by streams of water, who yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. And then he says, and whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I think that's biblical prosperity, mm-hmm. and I think it's success. Peter calls it, uh, if you want to be increasingly successful, and then he goes through this seven attributes of add to your faith, knowledge, knowledge, goodness, goodness, self-control, self-control, patience. He gets to kindness, brotherly kindness, phileo, and then love, agape love. He talks about it's this continual progression, but it's that, and then he says, and then you'll be successful. Hmm. And so these questions of everybody would like to come to the end of life, say you are successful, you are prosperous, you succeeded. And the biblical example constantly is deeply rooted in God himself, and he reveals himself in his word, and I cannot have that concentration of focus if I'm not daily engaging in my discipline of listening and solitude to what God is saying and reflect upon it and have mm-hmm. it guide life. 
And so that, to me, is the foundation of everything else that happens. We talked about relationship and being with other people, letting people speak into your life, having mentors, all those things are important. But for me, it always comes back to people around me know when I'm not clearly listening and reflecting and responding to what God's telling me on a regular basis in his words so that it comes out in my life. Fantastic. Well, uh, for those listeners of ours who who have been encouraged by what you had to say today and would love to keep up with what you're doing, um, is there like Facebook or blogs or anything like that that you're keeping up with where they can hear more about, you know, um, what you're learning, where you're going, what you're doing? Yes. If you go to the Grace Bible College website, then Joyce will post some of the devotionals or just articles all right. That'll be on there. I think you have to go back through the President's page and get to it. Sometimes it'll come out through the Twitter feed or the uh, the President's Facebook feed. It'll link on there. So I'm not going to give you the direct address because I don't know if I could find it, but uh, <laughs> I have a wonderful assistant who makes those things happen every time I write something and it that's comes right. out and updates. So that's awesome. how it happens. So kudos to Joyce Storms for that. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for um, taking a few minutes to just listen into this conversation with President Kemper. Thank you, President Kemper, thank for you. being thank here. You for it was me. a lot of fun and honestly really encouraging to me personally. So I appreciate your time and um, look forward to chatting with you guys soon. So how great was that conversation with President Kemper? You know, I mean, I've talked to President Kane several times just on a one-on-one basis, and he's always just a, a really nice and thoughtful guy. But I don't know, today was just a little bit of a different side somehow. Yeah. I don't know where it came from or why, but um, really enjoyed that in a particular way. So same. And I love seeing all the aspects of him. We, we know him as President Ken, but he is a father. He is a husband. Um, he is a son. And we kind of got to see all of that come out, which Absolutely. was so cool. And so that actually kind of leads me into the thing that stuck out most was something that he touched on and how important relationships are in your life that, you know, we can always feel the Lord calling us to do something and we can definitely have the faith and take that step. But it's so much more than just praying in solitude. Um, We can certainly have a conversation with God, but I loved when President Kemper said that it's so critical to have that close inner circle, those close family members, those close friends that you can say, hey, do you see me in this role? Is is this something that would be, you know, likely for me to do? Do you think I'd have success there? Is this something that I could do to help further Grace Bible College? Um, When he touched on that, that really touched my heart. I I loved that. That's something that, um, as you know, when my husband and I took a big leap of faith moving from the deep south to Grand Rapids, (laughs) um, deep south, south, (laughs) we had to do a lot of prayer and it was a lot of individual prayer, but at the same time... We talked to one another. He was always straight up with me on, on what his goals were and where he saw us. We had the conversation about our son. What is that going to look like for him? And then we talked to family. Is is this the right move for us? And um, that gave us a lot of peace. And um, I think, as, as President Ken said, moving from Africa to <laughs> Grand Rapids, um, yeah. that's kind of how he was able to get there. So I loved that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, kind of like, along the lines of like relationships again, you know, um, we always talk about like, well, President Ken talked about accountability Mm -hmm. over likability. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting thing. You know, I've been in church settings where that's been a problem. He mentioned Mm -hmm. that I've been in work settings where that's been a problem on both sides, either being trying to be too likable or not caring what anybody thought and being just 
a very unkind person. Um, and so, you know, just really appreciated that. And honestly, like my own career has kind of taken a turn where I'm having to work with teams that I'm directing and leading and stuff in the last couple of years. And this has been an area I've had to grow a lot in. Mm-hmm. I um, naturally want people to like me. For people sure. maybe don't know that about me when they meet me. I'm very like calm, collected, monotone. <laughs> um, and so like people just think like, oh, like he's super individual, like to himself. But I like to have people around me and I like people to like me. Um, and so that was a big hurdle for me, even in my own journey. Um, but yeah, like the need for accountability. And I even see that from from the side of being the one who needs accountability. Mm-hmm. When I'm in seasons where I don't have somebody to can who can step in and say, how are you doing with your goal to pay off your school debt or whatever it might be. Sometimes it's more personal than that. But, um, when I don't have that, like it shows sometimes very subtle ways, but, um, so just really felt like that was a great, um, perspective and you don't have to be a director or a VP or, or whatever to need to have that perspective. Like even as somebody who's like in an entry level job, like if you're taking you know, accountability and doing work right, doing work well, that will go a long way with whoever your director is. Um, So I really just appreciated that insight from him. For sure. And I would even add to that as a college student or as a high school student, you know, sometimes, especially as Christians, we're not going to make popular choices. Um, But for us, that's what's correct. And to to have kind of a a group around you that's supporting you and then to see and maybe have that noticed by your teachers or your professors or your youth leader. um, I think that can kind of transfer to any phase of life. So that was good. So kind of something that I've been thinking through some maybe action items that people could take that maybe if it's not already extremely applicable stuff for our listeners to think about. I think it's always so important to remain prayerful, no matter what season of life you are in. President Ken talked about it a lot, um, but it's it's so important to spend that time with God and to really sort of listen to what he is calling you to do. But step B to that would be surround yourself with good people, good people that you trust, good people that you can come to and, and have honest conversations with, and you will receive honest answers. Um, I think that's a huge portion of that. And maybe not everybody has that. So I think when someone is starting to form a relationship, building that trust, having those intentional conversations, building that relationship so that maybe a year down the line, that will be your go-to person. That could be your mentor, um, or maybe it's just a, a very close friend. But I think those relationships are critical to have. So it's so important for people to, to foster those. Um, and lastly, I think it's so important when we're in a really bad point in life, it's really easy to to seek God, to pray for him. You know, God, help me with this. Lord, get me through this. If only I could have this. Um, At least I'm really guilty of that. That's when I find myself really digging into my Bible, trying to find an answer when it's a tough time. But once you achieve that success, I know I'm guilty saying, I got this. Mm -hmm. And it's so critical to always kind of circle back to who got you there to to begin with. Um, We received advice earlier this week 
nothing matters but God. And so we need to always keep that in mind, keep that relationship through prayer, um, through studying the Bible with the Lord, and and keep those relationships strong with that inner circle that we keep talking about. So um, even when we when we have the success, the good times and the bad, I think it's important to keep that up. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for connecting with us today at the Profession and Pursuit podcast. You can check us out on the web. We're at www.professionandpursuit.com. So until next time, enjoy it. Enjoy it.